welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Sets of Church Leaders podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name's Daniel Yang, the director of the Sen Institute, and we're excited to have with us today Mike Cosper. Mike is the director of podcasting for Christianity Today, where he hosts the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill and Cultivated, a podcast about faith and work. Mike served as one of the founding pastors of Sojourn Church in Louisville, Kentucky, from which he launched the collective Sojourn Music, and he's also the author of several books, including Faith Among the Faithless and Rhythms of Grace. But before we hear from Mike, let's go to our host, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and Executive Director of Wheaton College, Billy Graham Center, Ed Stetzer. Hey, it's good to have you on the podcast and good to have Mike on the podcast. It's it's interesting because you're, you're, I'm not quite sure, even in thinking about this podcast, how to start the conversation because there's funny history that Mike and I have. He's uh, I've I've had a little fun about his worship a worship service at his church and a book I wrote years ago. Uh, I've known him. He's been in my living room. He was in my living room when he was 22 years of age. Um, at the same time, it's a pretty sober. I mean, this whole thing's pretty. So I think I think if you didn't listen to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, I can't imagine anyone listening to our podcast that hasn't listened to it. But I mean, it's a sober conversation. So, uh, and there's also things that like are fun. Like I want to say to him, who does a, a podcast episode that's two hours and thirty minutes long? And the answer would be Joe Rogan. But I, I get, but not not everybody does. So I think I'm gonna start with just kind of walking through, and then people will know that we're we also we we. I mean, we're not like best friends, but we've known each other for uh, for a couple of decades. And even through this conversation with Rise of Hill, ended up reconnecting as well. So let's let's talk to us a little about it. Um, you first of all, I mean, I was struck by I listened to all the episodes. Everyone I know listened to all the episodes. I've actually got a class coming up that deals with leadership and power that it's required listening for for a class, a master's degree class at the at the uh, uh, oh, it's a demon class uh, here at the uh, at the at Wheaton College. Um, but there's a there's a heaviness throughout that everyone feels. Some people think that Mike Cosper didn't go to some of the deepest and darkest places. Other people say, this is just, you know, I saw failure porn is one term I've saw people use and more. So let's just start with some personal question for you. Um, you've, we walked through this. This is not a, this was not like a six week project for you. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you kind of walk through some of the, you talked about being melancholy into the last episode. But how did you walk through this and try to balance to tell the story and more? Give us the background. Yeah. So, you know, I've I've been connected with a number of the folks who were, you know, part of the story for many years from back when I was a pastor and in ministry. And I saw the, you know, the devastation that it wreaked yep. in their lives, you know, when mm-hmm. the church, when the church closed its doors. Um, and I felt like as much as anything else, what what I found compelling about the story was that kind of heart, that kind of heartache and aftermath. Cause I don't think that translates oftentimes into what typically makes the front page of, you know, a newspaper or whatever about a, a pastoral failure or a pastoral resignation um, is the aftermath, the, yeah. you know, the devastation in its wake. Um, I'd say the other part of it that I don't think makes it in there a lot of times is the fact that it's a long, slow build and that there are often signs that simmer for a very long time. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was an incredibly challenging experience, and in, in sort of living in that world with people for you know days and weeks and hours, and um, you know it's like seventeen hours of a podcast with all the 
all the tape added up end to end, but it was hundreds of hours of sitting on zoom calls and phone calls and interviews with people literally reliving some of the worst moments of their lives. Um, and God was gracious. And, you know, by his grace, I was able to, to sit and participate in that with them and, and hear the heartache. And I, I wanted the audience to feel some of that, um, along the way. Yeah. But you, you also, and again, I, when a new episode would come out, just, you know, you could see the, a lot of people found it very helpful. A lot of people, and obviously far more people found it helpful because of the, the listenership, but you could see the criticism and the criticism grew each time is that, you know, you, even at the beginning, you know, what, what, what happened? It's about us. Um, look at the good that came out of Mars Hill. And so it seemed almost, how do you, how do you hold these things where you're having a conversation about, about uh, a lot of deep hurt and trauma and more. And yet you're, you're also saying, here's some good things and it's, and who's at fault at Mars Hill? We all are. So did, did you have that kind of posture in the beginning? And are you, are you glad you held that posture? Did that posture hold up? Help us to understand a little more about it, because that was one of the more widely criticized parts of it. Yeah, I, I definitely had the posture in the beginning. I, I remember I had a, had a conversation with someone who was, um, she was on the show and she told me when we had our first phone call, you know, I, I really want to encourage you try to only talk to people who love Mark. Um, mm because that context, that relationship is really important. Otherwise they're just, you know, another critic and the internet's full of those kinds of people. Um, and X Mars Hillers are, there's full of, the, there's plenty of those kinds of people as well. Um, I, I think that's the complexity of the church in general is that there's always this kind of, you know, possibility for this kind of harm and this kind of wounding because we're all, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but it's the truest cliche in the world. We're all sinners. We're all in need of God's mercy and grace. Um, and so the fact that God works in these kinds of broken spaces, if, if you're not willing to tell that part of the story, you're just lying. Like you're just not being honest about what, you know, what's, what's actually at stake and what's actually happening. The problem to me is that never becomes a justification for the kinds of darkness that took place at Marcel. And I think too often that's used in a pretty glib way. So there's a little bit of an intentional arc inside the podcast to, to open the show and, and really to open that first, the arc of those first four episodes in particular to, to draw out some of that and the, those positive, that positive impact along the way. And we revisited as well with the baptism stories and the, you know, the things that were happening at Easter in 2011 and all of that. Um, but I think the other side of that is this sort of cumulative effect of the harm and, and the wounding, which we draw out. And then obviously, of course, when you get to the aftermath, you know, the finale, like that's a, that's a heavy episode because you really see, you know, wow, look what was left behind um, yes. at the end of the story. And you've got some hindsight, you know, now that the series is over and I'm sure you might have some bonus uh, episodes that you want to release, but you know, given where the series is at now, um, the gap of like the expectations of what did you hope people would get from it? And then now like how people have actually processed the, uh, the, uh, the series. Can you talk about that? So going into it, like, what did you want people to get from it? And then, you know, what's been the aftermath of the actual podcast and especially how you it's impacted you. Yeah. I definitely went into it with some anxieties about like sort of the failure porn thing, right? Like, like another sort of scandal documentary. Um, the world doesn't need, you know, to be, to be filled with those kinds of things. 
Um, so I don't think, you know, maybe in a story like this, it's just not avoidable that some of that happens. I think that that has happened for sure. Um, when I see people sort of, you know, banging their spoon on their high chair saying, where's my new episode, that kind of thing. I feel like, ah, the spirit of this is maybe not being received in the way I would love to, for it to have been received. Um, but I think overwhelmingly, because it took off, and we never imagined it would have the kind of audience it's had, because it took off, I, I'm hopeful and optimistic that it's catalyzing a conversation about kind of power and weakness in leadership, repentance in leadership, um, spiritual abuse. Uh, I'm hoping it catalyzes a, a national conversation, maybe even a global conversation around those issues in a, in a new and constructive way. Let me, let me, let me um, talk personally just for a bit, because I remember the early days uh, at Sojourn. And uh, I remember, you know, you've heard me do the talk or, or where I wrote about it, um, where, you know, you were you and the worship team were up there and uh, you weren't, you're writing your own, your own song. So she didn't want to be sold out to the man singing commercial music. And, and, and then it took off and Sojourn worship took off. And soon you had your own um, album and more. So you have actually gone from, in my just, you know, observation of you in 20 years, you know, this kid trying to figure out what he believed to becoming an artist with a well-reviewed reviewed album, uh, sung, people singing the songs in different places. Now you're at CT and all. So, so how, I mean, as you're telling the story of how you're talking about the medium, you're talking about all kinds of things of concern that kind of shaped Mars Hill in ways that became problematic. When you're looking at your own journey, how does, how does that impact? What does that feel like for you? I think it's a, to me, it's a continual question in my mind. Like, what do we do with what the story reveals? You know, um, I, I find myself continually convicted by some of the things Andy Crouch says about mm. our, the gravity we have towards, you know, mediated relationships because of technology. Um, and certainly, you know, Mars Hill was a vanguard for, for that. And, and, and we wanted to tell that story because I think what's so fascinating about it is that, you know, it's Jurassic Park, right? Like they didn't, they were so, so focused on like whether or not they could do it that they never stopped to think like, should we do it? Um, for us, you know, at, at Sojourn and with Sojourn Music and the rest of it, you know, with, with kind of what we did and where we took things, there were similar kinds of, there was a similar kind of sort of naivety and hubris of like, well, let's, we have permission, you know, or, or at least no one's stopping us. So let's, let's experiment with music. Let's try different things. You know, um, there are definitely things I look back on creatively as a worship pastor, as somebody who's trying to cultivate a worshiping community inside the church that I, I look at now and go, I think we could have, there's definitely things I would do differently. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, truly 21st century problems that anybody can have a platform and that platform because of the nature of sort of virality can explode really, really fast. Hmm. Um, so I, I would say like on one level, I don't think in and of itself media is evil and harmful and that it needs to be sort of shut down. I think the lesson of Mars Hill is that we've got to be very, very careful about who are we, you know, who are we promoting on that medium? Are they prepared for it? Um, 
and how how like the degree to which we're we allow the numbers that are accumulated via the the, the medium online how much are we allowing that to kind of dictate um our endorsement and our partnership mm. and everything else yeah yeah but I, I think you can't miss the irony or mm -hmm. the tragedy that you telling this story I mean, Mike Cosper is a household name in a lot of places now. And where I, I don't know. I mean, when I looked one time, it was the number four podcast in the whole world, not the religious world, but the whole, whole world. Um, did you feel some of the impact of that? In other words, we're, we're, we're saying, look at what this did and some of the destruction that it could wrought in a church. Yet, I mean, you're now, you know, Mark Driscoll was one of the top podcasts in the world. You were one of the top podcasts in the world. What does that mean for... Mike Cosper, did you feel that impact you, pull you, draw you, shape you, push you, any of those things? Were you immune from those things? <laughs> I'm not immune to those things. I wouldn't think. Yeah. No, I had a I had a good pastor that that along the way is, you know, just somebody I've known from a distance that, you know, began sort of reaching out to me, encouraging me, praying for me along the way. And we had a conversation one time and and he just had this very frank word um, in the midst of this thing saying, Hey, I hope you don't forget about the judgment of God. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, subtle, subtle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and he's, you know, he says, remember your death, remember the judgment of God. And those are the things we have to keep, you know, keep before us because that's truly the only thing that keeps a leader sober is a recognition that like life is short. The judgment of God is real. Um, and our, our, you know, our purposes live in these sort of these, na this narrow bandwidth of, of mm -hmm. trying to live in, in accordance um, and to pursue the, the flourishing of, of God's people and, and the goodness of, of, of humanity in general. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that <clears throat> that's definitely had an impact for me and just trying to not take seriously the numbers. I mean, that sounds like an easy, it sounds like the kind of thing, like everybody wants to say, Oh, I stopped looking at it. Like I didn't pay attention to it, but um uh, along with that, I have a friend who's actually not a Christian, but is like a very, very successful guy in the entertainment business. And, you know, some, some of his advice to me was very similar. And, and, and he basically said, just don't even look at the numbers. Like, don't let it get to you because it's going to mess with your head in all kinds of ways. And to my, the best of my ability, I tried to, to sort of do that as well. And, um, I think there's did, a did, did you, pastors, did, right. Like, yeah. like how much do we allow numbers and success and all of that sure. kind of stuff to shape who we are. Um, it's a, it's the same kind of, you know, it's the same kind of vocational hazard. Did, did you, did you find, and again, I don't, I don't know the answer to these questions, so we're just having a conversation mm -hmm. here, but, um, you know, by the time you're in episode three or four, you know, this is a very big thing. Um, and people are yelling at you online and saying, you should do more of this or more of that. I remember after you had a couple of, um, authors on people like, well, this, this proves he's going this direction and people going this direction. Did that impact you at all? Did you change what you wanted to cover based on some of the feedback? Um, you know, fill in spots that maybe you missed or, or how did you respond to that? Yeah, it really didn't change what we wanted to cover. Um, okay. that's the, that's the honest truth because, um, we knew where we were headed in terms of the story part of, you know, part of why certain voices were on there at certain times and places, um, a, a significant part of it is like, hey, those were the people in the room. <laughs> those were the people who lived this story, who were part of these conversations, yeah. who had the relationships to be there. Um, 
and you know and i think i think one of the things that stirred a lot of sort of anxiety and and criticism and frustration with the podcast was um you know some of some of the positive things we said about rachel held evans critiques of mark yeah and um, I, I i can't imagine that you know i look back through my old direct messages and texts with with rachel that talk about mark driscoll a lot i can't imagine telling the story without uh involved you know talking about rachel held evans engagement and involvement i mean I, that to me I, I, that was a strange criticism mm -hmm. uh from from some quarters but i i guess people were like well is he going here is he going there and there was like second guessing along the way did that second guessing nudge or no nudge you or no 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 because okay. it, it really we, we just kept going you know this as the story goes along i think it's gonna i think it's gonna prove itself to be uh, to be honest, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I just want to tell the story honestly. Yeah. Um, and that's why those people were on because again, they were there, they lived it. Well, well this brings up a, a, this is a fascinating discussion because you're, you know, you're a content creator and, and pastors and leaders in some ways are content creators. So it brings up the question of like, how do you utilize the medium? And then how do you balance that with like creating the right content and like, like self-editing. I don't know if that's maybe the right way to, to talk about it, but like in your process of creating content, Mike, like how did you edit yourself? Um, especially since you had some personal connections with, uh, you know, some of the players in the episode, because I think there's, there's a lot of that, that pastors are dealing with like this week, you know, there's a pastor who had a really weird sermon illustration that, yes, yes. you know, landed him on a couple of discernment blogs and stuff like that. So on like, the front page of the Drudge Report, but yeah, <laughs> right. I guess that's on a discernment blog. Yeah. So how, how do you help? Like, how did you work through those things yeah. so that it didn't include so much of yourself, but at the same time, you did do some self-disclosure uh, throughout the uh, yeah, podcast? For sure. For sure. Yeah, I mean, part of that's just think you know, I'm just very thankful for CT because um, I have people who around me who have some really good wisdom about that um, are. Our, our editors, uh, Andrew Palpant Dilly, you know, was was part of our team, and that was one of the one of one of the ways she was weighing in was to kind of help me think through where is it necessary to disclose um, versus where is it helpful to to do enough disclosure that sort of sets up the reality that like what you're about to hear is editorializing. This is me speaking from my experience right. Right. and my own personal reflections, um, but. At the end of the day, I, I, the 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 thing that the question I kept asking myself, or the challenge I kept giving myself to editorialize along the, or, or to to shape the content along the way, was to keep coming back to like this is the story of the people at Mars Hill, so I want to be honest about, you know, Tim Smith and Nate Burke and, you know, Jesse Bryan's experiences. Is this, you know, Jen Smith's experience, Wendy Alsop's experience, is this being honest to those things? Is this putting them forward in, you know, in the clearest manner? Um, and after you do that for, for so long, you know, quickly, you know, even in a two and a half hour episode, as you've pointed out, um, it, there's not a lot of room left for, for yourself and, and for your own story. So. Yeah, it was, there was not a lot of, you could have been more as you know as you could have told your own your own journey and i i would have maybe not everyone would have engaged it but um all right so so let's talk some about the aftermath of the aftermath um mm -hmm. the mark demas uh friend of mine i'm guessing mutual friend um he tweeted on december 14th 2021 note to churches and lay leadership you're no mars hill and your pastor is not mark driscoll may i humbly suggest no need to overthink your situation and or create problems that don't exist I see since too much of this unnecessarily happening, 
if and where so, uh, not not helpful. Um, yet there are real stories. I mean, there's a lot of little Mars Hills all over, or maybe not so little. So, um, you know, some concern, and I've heard it from many people, is that it's now um, caused people to be looking for things, some would say, that are not there. Others saying, no, it's helping you see more clearly what is there. Uh, the aftermath of the, for those who don't know, the aftermath was the last last episode. So the aftermath of the aftermath, um, what has that created in people that you've seen? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I would say, I think, to some extent, um, it, it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely created something. To another extent, I think it's been a permission giving device for for a lot of people who've had concerns and, you know, and questions in advance. I mean, the online community of Christians who've had church hurt experiences was massive before the podcast started. It was, yeah. Um, I mean, that's been a social media phenomenon for many years and a blog phenomenon and all that. Um, and and I think, I mean, I, I definitely think there's a degree to which, you know, what, what Mark is saying is absolutely true. I mean, we, um, we, we included, there's a, there's a clip on a bonus episode where we're talking to um, uh, Matthew Lee Anderson and Matthew is talking about kind of the negative experiences of a lot of evangelicals, ex-evangelicals, you know, self-identified kind of deconstructed believers. And, um, you know, he says, I, he says, I think it's important to note that this is a marginal experience. And, and I think that's true. Like that doesn't diminish the pain of it, but the idea that, that, that the vast majority of evangelicals haven't experienced that phenomenon, I think is largely true. The, the question that I raise, and I think the question the podcast raises is, uh, th that I hope it raises, is an examination of what's going on behind the curtain. Um, because I think the clearest thing about the Mars Hill story is that the closer you got to the sort of inner circle of the inner circle of the inner circle, um, the more painful your fallout was in the aftermath. Hmm. Um, I think, unfortunately, there are there are dynamics there that to much lesser degrees are mirrored in a lot of different places. And, you know, it's, it should ask us some questions about, I mean, look, people have been asking this since the mid nineties, right? I mean, Marva Dawn and then like 1995 was talking about sort of the crisis of the corporate boardroom taking over the, you know, the, um, the church parish. Um, that's a, that's a question. That's a reform issue that I think we need to continually be addressing. Let me press into that a little bit more, Mike, because I, I think this will bring us into some of the things that we want to talk about, like the theology, reform theology, complementarianism, those kinds of things. But, you know, I mean, the last five, six years has been somewhat painful for American evangelicalism. We're here in Chicagoland. I mean, this was a case study. You, you could have picked a couple of other churches or ministries to do a case study on. So, you know, what are some of the things about Mars Hill that you thought would make a really good case study? And and then are you introducing like a, a, a new genre of kind of like, you know, Christian church autopsies? I mean, I, I've heard a lot of folks, you know, uh, say, you know, when's the next, you know, Willow Creek uh, episode going to come out? So can you talk about some of that? Yeah, I mean, to the, to the latter question, I, I'm sure it will. Um, I hope you know, I, I hope it doesn't become like the norm. I hope this isn't like the next sort of true crime genre that kind of takes over everything. Um, because I, again, like, I don't, I think the church needs to address some of these questions and issues, but I, I hope it's not all we're talking about. Um, I think, you know, for, 
for me, the, again, for me, the hope for the church is that we can, um, we can, we can catalyze a conversation here that moves us towards something that's more, that's better and more beautiful. Like there is a better and more beautiful church than the, the kinds of sort of leadership dominated dysfunctional communities that, that Marcel is representative of. We, we featured them prominently in part because so much of it was available online. And I think what made Mark unique was that there were moments, um, you know, like that, that sort of infamous Nehemiah sermon where he talks about beating up the elders in his church um, and, you know, certain sort of out, um, ways in which he's maybe an outlier amongst even complementarians uh, around the ways he talks about sexuality and stuff like that, that are, you know, uh, that that are loud and clear in ways that other churches do things more quietly, um, but but nonetheless kind of problematically. So it was that status as like the internet church where everything was online, everything was available, and um, and I mean, frankly, like I did have some personal connections that got us in the door to feature that. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've said it, I've said it a hundred times. Like it's Mark said things loudly that unfortunately I think have been mirrored in more quiet ways. In a lot of churches, it is. I do wonder too. You know, they, since since the podcast came out, uh, started. I think the uh, Mulder and Martiz book on Robert Schuller and the Crystal Cathedral uh, came out. We actually had an interview with uh, Marty here on the on the podcast. Um, I, I do. It, so there's. Is there a rise and fall of Robbie Zacharias coming? Is there? Are these more stories that you and Christianity Today want to tell, or is this kind of a one time conversation for for you and CT? For now, I'm not planning on doing another Rise and Fall podcast anytime soon. Um, my plans to move on to different kinds of stories. Um, we're still kind of exploring exactly what comes next for us, but um, for sure, that's not, you know, there's not a season two featuring another, el- you know, pastor or elder. I, I don't say never because you don't want to say never. Yeah, sure, sure. Again, my desire is not to be like the Rise and Fall of ex celebrity pastor guy for yeah, sure. I just, I just think there, there is, I mean, I am not among those who, I mean, I would, you know, have, I would have said this or would have done that. That's all, you know, that's, there's always people do that. It's a long form storytelling. Everyone will have opinions, but I do think the conversation about power, I like that you uh, engaged uh, Diane Langberg. I like, uh, you know, I mentioned that your podcast is required reading in one of our, our listening in one of our doctoral seminars. In addition to that same seminar is, is her book, Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church. I do think this is an issue that, um, that requires more conversation. It's not the Mars Hill podcast and then we're done. So what would you like to see so that we might have more healthy engagement of power? You mentioned Andy Crouch. Um, first first person we had on the podcast, actually, when we launched the Stetzer Leadership Podcast back in the day was Andy, very influenced by his writings on power. Um, so what what would you like to see happen from these conversations on the unhealthy use of power to be a more to be the church to be healthy because it, obviously it can't. It's not the elimination of the use of power. It's well, you tell me what is it? Yeah, I mean, especially when you think in terms of the way sort of Andy defines power, which I would do a poor job of uh, restating at the moment. But yeah, I mean, everybody leadership is the, the exercise of power. I mean, Jesus' ministry is the exercise of a certain kind of power in certain kinds of ways. Um, you know, I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. Of, um, several months ago and kind of in the midst of the production of the series. And this guy pastors a very, very large church. And 
he said, you know, he, he was wrestling through questions in the series and, you know, trying to think through their own sort of internal dynamics at, at his church. And he's like, I'm just trying to think through, you know, our measurables are growth, you know, our measurables are baptisms. It's these sort of numbers metrics, you know, what would we, what, what would you suggest, you know, to change it? And I, you know, I, I said, look, honestly, I don't, I don't know <laughs> because it's the paradigm I've lived in as well. I think we need some good thinking about it. And I, and I did say like, what if for a season, um, our church is primarily measured hospital visits and funerals, you know, showing up for people in the crisis moments of their lives where, where we're sending our pastors and our community group leaders and whatever else to those moments when people are really in suffering. And that's a, that's a, you know, not just a side metric, you know, to go alongside with whatever else we're taking pride in, but the degree to which pastoral care really is driven to the hurting places, the broken places, um, uh, the, the grief filled places in people's lives. Mm-hmm. That's what makes a huge difference. Um, and that's what makes people love their communities and, and want to give their lives away to them. Um, I, I'd love to see a church that's more, that's more focused on that. I'd love to see an understanding of leadership. And, and you know, this is the church leaders podcast, right? Like, I do think there's something problematic about the way a certain style of leadership has almost been fetishized since the nineties, that, that, that sort of corporate CEO model. And again, even making that criticism is a cliche, you've heard it a thousand times, mm-hmm. but I, I'm not sure I've seen somebody pose the alternative that says, okay, here's, here's a character driven model in the image of Jesus that can nonetheless lead a healthy, large community. Um, and I'm not, I, I think it's totally possible. I mean, I think we live in an age of just big stuff. Everything's big these yeah. days. We concentrate populations. So I'm not afraid of big churches. Um, I, I just want to come back to like, okay, what are we measuring? Like what matters to us? You know? Well, I think that was a big theme throughout the uh, podcast because there were so many people that were in Marseille that were willing to overlook the, you know, the toxic nature of leadership because good things were happening. I mean, that was something that you just brought up repeatedly throughout the uh, the series. Um, and I know when people are going through it, it's kind of hard to see and identify everything, and it's, you know, because it's happening, so you can't really see it uh, with some distance. But you've had a chance to interview those who were involved, and like in retrospect, like what are some of the things that you heard from uh, those who participated and said, you know what, we should have better accountability systems, better checkpoints. Like what are some of the things that you gleaned that church leaders can really learn from. Yeah. One of the things that was interesting that I heard a number of times was the need for um, the, the need for pastors, like particularly like pastors who were coming in from the outside to figure out like, how do I vet the leader that I'm going to theoretically submit to, you know, for the years to come. Um, Cause I think one of the, you know, one of the red flags for Mark was here's a guy who's, never really been a church leader before, you know, bragged openly about like, I've never been a member of the church. Um, uh, I was, a, you know, I was a new Christian and all this kind of stuff. Um, where, where were the patterns of submission to authority? Where were the patterns of accountability? How do I know that this is true, that this is real, that this is an environment that's, that, that is safe and accountable if I'm going to, if I'm going to step into it. So I thought that was an interesting question, like to think about, you know, whether you're a, a pastor who's joining a, a new community, or if you're going to come under the leadership of other pastors in your staff, or if you're a church member, 
when you walk in the door? Like, what do these, what do those things look like? Um, and then, you know, I, I've said this, you know, I've said this in a couple of other places, but I think it's worth repeating. Like, if you're a church leader, I think one of the most important things that you can do is to go to the people who work, you know, under your authority and ask them, tell me honestly, how do you experience me negatively? And then believe them, <laughs> believe what they say. Because I think what, what happens far more often is that you create these structures of accountability and let's do a leadership 360, you know, assessment and all of this kind of stuff. And our knee-jerk reaction is to kind of come back to it and go, well, here's the reasons I did that. And here's the reasons I do that. And that leader can't keep up with this. So that's why I don't respect. So you, you, the excuse making is, is tremendous. Um, I think a posture of humility says, okay, I'm going to believe this person and I'm going to find my pathways for repentance and to, to move towards health in these relationships. One of the um, criticisms, and I, I started to keep coming to criticisms, but I think it's an opportunity to talk through some of those things. Um, you know, you, you, you shaped the conversation and one of the criticisms is, is that you were dealing with abuse and misogyny and I could list several other things, um, but you didn't really address that the root cause of these things were from your critics were uh, reform theology and complementarianism. It seemed like you sort of wanted to say you, in the last episode in particular, you talked about you really, you really pushed and said, this is not the normal understanding of Reformed theology, and on more on one occasion, not the normal understanding of complementarianism. But people would say that you did not have a realistic view that those theological systems themselves are the things that create the opportunity or themselves are abusive. So how, how would you respond to that? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a totally fair question. I, I would say, I think, I know of too many examples of churches that are complementarian, where there are, there are healthy communities, where there are women who are leading in ways that I think, you know, would self-describe as like they're flourishing and they're, they're experiencing, you know, good, healthy community and, and good, healthy leadership. Um, I would also say, I mean, I think one of the obvious sort of counterfactuals is the fact that there's lots of abusive leadership taking place in egalitarian churches all over the place. Namely, Willow Creek. I mean, Bill Hybels was a champion for egalitarian leadership, you know, throughout his ministry and was a sexual predator. Um, so I, I think to sort of narrowly define it to, you know, a, a position on the, the roles of women in leadership in the church, um, I, I think has a, you know, uh, misses the point of, again, sort of the way power and power differentials work. Um, you don't need reformed theology and you don't need complementarian theology to have that kind of stuff in place. Um, and then on the reformed side, I always laugh at that critique because I'm like, y'all, I'm reformed. <laughs> like I've written, I've written two books on reformed theology. Like I'm, I'm very pro reformed theology. So it's definitely, you know, it's, that's definitely not an issue to me. Again, I think it's the reality of this sort of power and weakness stuff um, and the, the, the imbalances and the abuses is that it can, it, it's a chameleon. It can take place inside any structure, any leadership structure. And it certainly doesn't need the church either. I mean, let's talk about Harvey Weinstein, um, whose ideology swings as far in the opposite direction of, you know, reformed evangelicalism as you can get. So um, yeah, and 
and it was one of those things. I mean, again, we didn't address it in the show in a defensive way because it was another example of one of those things that like we didn't want to be sort of pivoting to the audience's objections and the way we way we told the story. I think one of the things that um as people were listening to the uh series and they were asking the question like what do we do with this? You know, I think one of the things that I would consistently hear was we needed more empathetic leadership, like empathy. Um leaders that could experience, you know, how church members are experiencing, like what you said, you know, um, the willingness to hear back from those that you're leading. Um, you know, as we're getting into kind of more of the practical side of how to apply, uh, you know, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, um, what do you think, like, if a church leader is experiencing this in their congregation, they realize that I, I, I've become self-aware uh, of my own leadership style. Like, what do you think of some of the practical aspects of actually you know, softening their leadership style so that they can be humbled and listen to to their, um, you know, church members and those that are experiencing their leadership in negative ways? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I, I don't think there's any shortcuts, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a spiritual formation question. So it's like anything in our lives that, um, you know, it's going to take sort of long obedience and um, practical steps of, you know, practical steps of repentance. Um you know, where are the opportunities then, you know, when it comes to this kind of stuff, like where are the opportunities to attend to the, the way power and uh, works out in our relationships? Um, and when we recognize abuses and, and, you know, destructive patterns, like when are we ready to sort of step up and say, okay, like I need to own X to this person. Um, I remember Dallas Willard, you know, told a story one time, he said, he said, you know, there's one of the uh, one of the things he realized was that the longer he was in the academic world is that it was a world full of white lies. It was just constant white lies. You know, the number one of which being, uh, yeah, I've read that book. You know? <laughs> and he, uh, he said, so he made this decision for himself um, that, you know, to truly repent of that, like he needed to go back every time he told a white lie about having read a paper or whatever it was, or read in a bulletin or whatever it was, that he was going to go back to each person and he was going to say plain and simple, I lied to you about X and I'm really sorry. Will you please forgive me? Um, and, you know, his point as he was kind of sharing the story was like, we need to just sort of nakedly address, you know, our sin when we recognize it and recognize that it's interpersonal and go to the person and ask for, for forgiveness. Um, and the, that forces you into a position of humility really fast. And, you know, I wonder if there aren't disciplines like that. I mean, I, I don't think it gets um, sort of easier or more systemic or more, I don't think it's something you can program. Um, if we're recognizing in ourselves a gravity towards a certain kind of power, a certain kind of abusiveness, it is the simple work of repentance in relationship um, and making a habit of it, you know, making a habit of examining our hearts and going where, you know, where, where have I gone astray and where am I, where do I need to go and be reconciled to somebody? Um, and I think for, for leaders who've been at this for a long time, if you've recognized that this is a serious process, that's going to be really, really hard and really painful, but I think it's going to bear fruit in incredible ways. If you're willing to, to kind of step into that. We've gone long for us. I recognize these, this is, <laughs> you know, a short podcast for you. And there's so many things I wish I could have asked and probably should have asked better. Um, but let me just let me do two quick closing questions, and uh, and then we'll we'll wrap. So one of them is, if you had to do the whole series again, what would you do differently? 
honestly, I, I don't think I've had enough space away from it yet. Fair enough. Fair enough. I really yeah. don't. And you mentioned in the final episode that there were bonus episodes. Um, yep. What bonus episodes should we expect? Yeah. So we're, we're doing an episode. Um, one of the, one of the big issues to me is that the Mars Hill story represents a broader phenomenon of kind of uh, a time where we have failed institutions um, that are no longer being formative and, and lead, you know, forming leaders in, in characterological ways. So we're doing a whole episode on institutions. Um, and then we're doing, uh, we're doing an episode about the spiritual development of leaders. Um, what, you know, what does it take to, to build a leader that lasts? Um, and then we're also going to be announcing soon some kind of roundtable discussions uh, that that are probably going to start uh, initially be recorded as Zoom webinars that'll be live live events, um, and for those that, that can't attend them, we'll we'll release them in the feed later on. You've been listening to Mike Cosper, uh, the host and creator of the podcast series "The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill." If you hadn't had a chance to listen to that, you can go over to Christianity Today and check that out. Also, you can learn more about Mike's ministry at MikeDCosper.com. Thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at ChurchLeaders.com. And we found our conversation today helpful. We'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.